0: It is a joy for uh, Becky and I to be here with you tonight. We've looked forward to the camp meeting. This is camp meeting singing, camp meeting praying. And the Lord is among us already. And what a joy to see a, such a great crowd that is here uh, tonight. Thank you, Bishop. You and Sister Sherry are dear friends. We uh, appreciate your leadership. and. Uh, And grateful for your friendship as well here in the the Heartland Conference. And we're grateful for Brother Terry Louder and Sister Kendra serving as your conference missions director. And we're thankful for uh, all that you're doing, my brother. And thank you for all of your giving. To Global Outreach and what you're doing for for World Missions uh, as well as to Southwestern and all of the other uh, opportunities we have to worship the Lord through our giving in this place. It it is my 40th year of uh, ministry and I could take you to the place just a little ways over here where the Lord called me to preach 40 years ago at a youth camp and I'm so thankful that 40 years later we're still on the journey. And I can tell you, I've never told the story once like I've wanted to tell it. I've never preached one time where afterwards I said, I did it tonight. But you know what? That just means every time I get to come to the pulpit, I can say, Lord, let this be the night. Amen? Amen. Let me just tell it once like I'd really like to tell it. I feel like I'm among friends and all of the special guests that were acknowledged. And every one of you are special. Thank you for being here. Uh, and you, will, you do want to be here tomorrow night and, and uh, Friday night. Sister Beth Stevens is a personal friend of mine. And we have shared preaching duties. And I could take a text tonight that the one that's coming after me is greater than I. And it would be true. <laughs> Talking about Sister Beth. You'll want to be here and hear this, this great woman of God. I'm going to do my best to, to be back Friday night if I can at all as well. Let's go to the Lord's Word tonight. I want to take you to the Old Testament and the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. It's on page 916 in my Bible. I don't know if that will help you find it or not, but uh, it's back there in the Old Testament. Start in chapter 1 and let me read verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. And then let's move down to verse 15, still in chapter 1. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Keep reading. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I. And thou heardest my voice. Look at verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah unto the dry land. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, According to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. And put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Look at verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them. And he did it not. Chapter 4 verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. and He was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord. Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? And look at verse 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle. I've been preaching long enough, I think I can sometimes read the minds of my audience. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, he just read almost the whole book. (laughs) Amen? But listen, it's too late. I've already done it. We've already taken up the offering. You may, may as well stay and hear the word of the Lord. Amen? I want to preach to you tonight on this subject that evangelism and missions makes all the difference in the world. Do you agree? Do you believe that? Evangelism and missions makes all the difference in the world you're familiar with that phrase aren't you it makes all the difference in the world my precious father used that phrase quite a lot I can remember specific times he would say son it makes all the difference in the world anybody remember back in the 70s when for a while they they lowered the speed limit from 70 to 55 anybody remember that but when they moved it back to 70 you know My father was a happy man. And he said, son, that makes all the difference in the world. I heard a man preach uh, back in North Carolina this summer. And he said he had always heard about flying first class, especially on an overseas flight that he never had before. And he thought, well, it can't really be much different than it is back here. But somehow he got upgraded one time to first class. And he took about 20 minutes to tell us why that made all the difference. In the world, So we use phrases like this quite a lot, but I want to try to show you from this wonderful inclusion in the Word of God, the book of Jonah, that these two things that are inseparably linked, evangelism and missions, they truly make all the difference in this world. So we go to the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah is a very short book. It's, it's called one of the minor prophets, but there's very little prophecy in it. It's a totally unique book. It's more of a a story, a narrative about a man that comes on the scene. We know very little about him. In the past, and in church history, people have looked at this book different ways. Some view it only as a fictional account. They think it's all mythological. They think it's no more historically accurate than Moby Dick or Robinson Crusoe or something like that. We certainly don't, don't see like that. Others think that, well, the whole thing is a metaphor and maybe Jonah represents Israel and the sea represents the nations and the fish is the Babylonian captivity. And then when he is put back on land, that's coming from the exile. But there's nothing that gives us any indication that's the way we ought to read the book. I think we are on good, solid footing to believe it is historically accurate. Yeah. One reason is Jonah is mentioned by name in another book in Second Kings. His hometown is identified. His father is mentioned by name. And beyond that, we can read that uh, Jesus spoke of him. As a matter of fact, Jesus said uh, on one occasion, you remember, if you want to see the importance of this man, Jonah. He said, as Jonah was in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights, even so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. He's, he talked about people that were looking for a sign, and he said there'll be no sign given except for that of the prophet Jonah. That is the one who d- is put to death and is buried for three days but lives again. He is the only one that you can believe. Amen. And so I, I just offer this narrative to you that uh, this isn't make-believe. This isn't a fairy tale. It is God's Word, and there must be a reason that it was put there Not only for the original reader, but for us as well. So I've got an easy four-point outline to follow. You can read the whole book in less than 10 minutes. And I challenge you to do it when you get home or when you can. And so looking at each one of these four chapters, we'll just make a point. I'm reading some of your minds again. Some of you are saying, oh, no, another four-point sermon. Listen, if you've ever heard one that had 14 points or 24 points... You'll be glad for a four-pointer every now and then. Am I right? If you're like me, I've heard some didn't have a point at all. I preached a few of those myself. On the way home, you're saying, what was the point of that? You know. So here's the four points. They're very easy to follow. Chapter 1, Jonah is protesting. Chapter 2, Jonah is praying. Chapter 3, Jonah is preaching. Chapter 4, Jonah is pouting. What should we do in the ministry? And if you ask us what our life consists of. Most of us ministers will say, Well, we're all about praying and preaching. But if we're honest, we look back, we do our share sometimes of protesting and pouting too. And we can see this clearly in the text. So in chapter 1, here's how the narrative begins. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city and to cry out against it. God said, go. He said, I'll give you the message. Don't say one positive thing about that city. Just tell them I'm against this city and everything that is happening here. So God said, go. And Jonah said, no. (laughs) This is a little outline within the outline, all right? For you preachers that really want to keep it simple, all right? Or to connect with the younger generation, go. No. As far as I know, Jonah is the only prophet in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that told God no, that had the audacity to do it. It reminds me of Peter when he had that, that vision, do you remember, and the Lord spoke to him in that dreamlike sequence and said, you know, to arise and eat, and he said, not so, Lord. Do you remember that? In that, that vision, Peter said, no, Lord. How many of you know you really never can say no, Lord? If you tell him no, he's not your Lord. And if you call him Lord, you can't say no. But Jonah did. God said go, and Jonah said no. And not only did he say, I'm not going, he went the other way, didn't he? He went down to the shipyard... And he looked like uh, whatever the word is for a voyage, not a flight schedule, but whatever it is for boats and ships. And he found the one that was going in the farthest direction away. There was a ship going to Tarshish, and he said, I'm going to book a ticket on that one. Geographically, Nineveh is about 735 miles northeast of Jerusalem. He gets on a ship headed for Tarsus, which is about 2,500 miles away. In the southern southern part of Spain. It would be like the Lord telling us tonight. Somebody go to New York City. And cry out against that city. And not only do we say we're not going. We book a ticket to San Diego. That's, that, that's what Jonah did. And so Jonah goes the other way. And he got on a ship. And the Bible said he went down to Joppa. That's where the shipyard was. He went down to Joppa. And then it said he went down into the ship. And then it said he went down into the lower part of the ship. And then it said he went down to sleep in the lower part of the ship. And then he went down into the sea. I've run out of steps, but he's still going down. <laughs> he went down into a great fish. And then that, that great fish took him even further down into the depths of the sea. Am I preaching to anybody here tonight that one time tried to run from God? Did you find out you can run from Him, but you can't hide from Him? Did you find out if you try to run from God, it's going to be a downward spiral. And you're going to end up going a lot farther down than you ever dreamed or set out to do. So all of a sudden, Jonah is asleep in the hinder part of the ship. But the Scripture said, the Lord caused a wind to blow. That's part three of the out, point three of the outline within the outline. God said, go. Jonah said, no. The Lord said to the wind, blow. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> go. No. Blow. And the storm began to beat against the bow of that ship. And you know the story, the account. I didn't read it all because the story is so familiar to almost all of us that are here. And on board that ship are heathen sailors polytheistic, believing in all kinds of different and many gods. But they went down and they woke him up because they believed somebody was causing the storm. And they said, who are you and what God do you serve? And he said, I'm Jonah. And he said, I serve the Lord God of Abraham, the Hebrew's God. And they cast lots to find out who was responsible for the storm and Jonah to his credit spoke up and said I'm the one that did it the lot fell on him and he said I'm the man throw me overboard that's the point four. go no blow throw okay all right people I'm not gonna do this all night that's just that one time all right Jonah said I'm the one that did it throw me overboard And the men didn't want to, and they didn't want to anger his God or any other God. So they said, maybe if we throw him over, maybe whoever's responsible for this will have mercy on the storm. And it happened just like that. Now, I never can keep a secret. I wanted to save to the very end the whole purpose, I think, of the book to show about Jonah's attitude and his heart. But I have to tell it to you right here at the beginning. Because I grew up hearing the story of Jonah and I think the way that most of us grew up hearing it, a lot of us at least, we have it all wrong in what the motivation for Jonah was. The reason that he ran the other way, the reason that he didn't want to go to Nineveh, he may have been personally afraid of what they would do to him, but that never says that in the text. Jonah was not afraid of going because he would fail in the task. Jonah did not want to go because he didn't want to be successful. He did not believe that the Ninevites were worth saving. And if you study in history about the Ninevites, you can see that he had, uh, he had almost, if, if you have a right to believe that, he almost would we'd say had a right to believe that. The Ninevites were horrific people. They were the forerunners of ISIS in our day. They were barbaric. They were cruel. They cut people's heads off and would carry them through the streets on a stick. Their heads would be there. They, were, they, they, would, they would tear the skin off of people and all kinds of hideous, barbaric, cruel things. And it may be that Jonah had family or friends that had suffered under their hand, Where Whatever the, the cause, whatever the reason, Jonah did not believe the Ninevites were worth saving. But to his credit... He did believe these heathens on the ship were worth saving. He actually became a martyr and saved their lives. Have you ever seen that in the text? Listen. Some people are just bigots. Some people are just racist. Some people just hate everybody that's not exactly like them. But there's others that are selective in their racism. (laughs) And their bigotry. They're not against all people groups, just certain ones. It's the Ninevites that he had the problem with. He didn't, he doesn't know these heathen people, but he said, I'll throw me overboard. It's me. He gave his life so that they could live. And the scripture said when Jonah was splashed into the sea, the people began to say, The Lord, He is God. They were all saved. Do you know why they were saved? Because evangelism and missions makes all the difference in the world. It made the difference for everybody on that ship. So we go to chapter 2. Chapter 1, Jonah was protesting. But in chapter 2, we're going to hear Jonah praying. Now, think about this. I haven't said anything yet about the fish. You mentioned Jonah. If we were playing a word association game, Jonah. First thing that comes to your mind, whale. Right? The fish. The fish is not... Good, the fish is not bad. The fish is just one of the supporting cast in the drama, like the wind and the, and the storm and the, the vine that will appear later in all of this. The fish, you say, was the fish, was that mercy or judgment? Well, on one hand, it, it, we think it's judgment. God sent the fish to teach him. A le- on the other hand, that, that fish became, that was mercy. That kept him from dying from the other creatures in the sea. God could still work on his heart some there in the fish. Now, it's kind of an unfortunate rendering that the King James calls it a whale. In all likelihood, it was some kind of large sea creature or sea monster. We all know that. Somebody said, do you really believe that, 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 that a fish like that could, could swallow a man? And I'm kind of like the fellow who said, I, if it's in the Bible, I would believe it if it said that Jonah swallowed the whale. Okay? <laughs> Now, I'm really not like that man because I think that we can be rational and reasonable in our faith, right? Even with miraculous and the supernatural, it's not going to be something absurd. So, my question is, not really, I, don't, I don't get bogged down on what kind of fish it was or something like that. What I want to know when I get to chapter 2 is why did it take him three days before he started praying? Anybody think like I do? When you read the text, I'm not waiting three days before I call on the name of the Lord. The prayer meeting starts the moment I look around, I think. But again, we don't know. Some people think Jonah died and the Lord had to revive him. Or maybe he was in shock. You know what? Hollywood messes us up so much I tell people everywhere I go because Hollywood tries to help people out, but don't get your theology from Hollywood, okay? But I remember as a little boy seeing the Disney movie Pinocchio. Anybody see Pinocchio? Didn't he get swallowed by a big fish like that? But it wasn't so bad in his whale. They had a little table and a chair. I think he had a little living room. And Anybody remember that? So maybe we think that's what... It was... Can I tell you how bad it was? I really can't because the Scripture doesn't say, but it does say in chapter 2, in his confession there, he could, the seaweed was wrapped around him. Have you ever read that? Don't you know it smelt in there? The smell he's surrounded by intestines. Tell me when you want me to stop. All right? And it's just, it's just horrific inside of that sea creature. But after three days, Jonah called on the name of the Lord. Somebody said, I'm so far down, I'm so beat down, you don't know what I'm going through. God could never hear me where I'm at. Listen, if God could hear a man from the belly of the great fish, you're not too far down. You're not, you're not too far gone. Why don't you call on the Lord and see if he won't come and hearken unto your cry? Jonah ends up in chapter 2, and it may be this wasn't... The words in chapter 2 may not have been Jonah's immediate prayer. They may have been written after where it has reflection back on the scene. But if we're not careful, we miss something, I think, in the prayer in chapter 2. Because Jonah seems to repent. And he seems to come back into full right relationship with the Lord. And he says, that you get to the end of that prayer in chapter 2, he says, I will offer sacrifices unto the Lord. In other words, he's saying, all right, Lord, I'll go to Nineveh. You got my attention. I'll go, right? Anybody else, you'd be saying something like that? Okay, get me out of here and I'm going. Okay. But you look at it carefully and closely. Jonah is still consumed with himself. He says, I or my, seven or eight times. He only mentions others one time. And it's in verse 8. And it's talking about those that worship idols. Do you know who he's talking about? He's talking about the Ninevites. He's saying, Lord, I'll serve you. I'll offer sacrifices. I'll go to Nineveh. But they're still not worthy of redemption. They're still not. Those that worship idols, they've, it's vanity. They've, they, there's, and if we're not careful, listen, some of us believe in personal salvation We rejoice in what the Lord has done for us. We sing and shout and testify about that, but some of us have not reached the place where we really believe that God didn't just want to save us and people like us, but He wanted to save the whole world. I grew up hearing a song. Did anybody else sing in a junior choir or a booster band besides me growing up? You still had the little children come up? And so a lot of my theology... My earliest theology, I learned singing those songs at a very young age. But you know one, Jesus loves me. This I know. How do you know? For the Bible tells me so. There's still no greater truth I've ever learned than that. Jesus loves me. This I know. How do you know? For the Bible tells me so. But we sang another song in the junior choir, the little booster band, at about the same time. And that one was a little different. It it didn't just go, Jesus loves me. But it said, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. I think some of us like that first song better than we like the second song. When we get into adulthood... Are you hearing me tonight? I'm talking about my understanding of the message from the book of Jonah. Jonah doesn't believe that they're worth saving in Nineveh. He believes in personal salvation. And he thanks God for that. But he still isn't coming to grips with the idea that Jesus died for all. So that brings us to chapter 3. And when you get to chapter 3, we are told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah again the second time anybody glad for a second chance and did the lord ever give you a second chance amen when you slipped and stumbled and fell and failed are you glad that he came and gave you a second chance and another chance he's the god of a second chance and the word of the lord came to him the second time and said arise go to that city of nineveh and he said here's the message and god gave him the message and jonah went And he preached the message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overturned. That was the message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overturned. When I read in the King James, it seems to say it was about a three days journey from where he was to get to Nineveh in order to preach the message. But some translations seem to indicate that Nineveh was such a large city, a huge city. At least 120,000 people, but maybe as many as 600,000 people. And some believe what the text is saying is the city was so large, it took him three days to walk through the whole city just preaching that message. Wow, some of our folks think we just kind of have a one message, you know. Some of us pastors, you know. You didn't know what people, people talk about your servants? They do it. I heard about two of them. One said, oh, our pastor, is so boring. Every Sunday is just ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. The other one said, you ought to be glad. Ours just goes ding, ding, ding. There's no variety at all. Okay. My wife is here tonight. I've forgotten. She, she gave me the look. So not too many more of those. All right. How would you like to go to a church and every Sunday it's the same thing? Yet forty days and this thing's going to be overturned. That's it's, it's the only message that he had. Now that word "overturned" is an interesting word. There in the Hebrew, it means one meaning is destroyed. Destroyed. It's the same word that's used to talk about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God overturned them. They were destroyed. And I think that's the way that Jonah was preaching the message. That's what he had in mind. He was saying almost, if you, I don't want to add to the tape, but it seems to me he may have even had a sneer on his countenance when he said, you've got 40 days and God's putting you out of business. 40 days and you're going down. 40 days and you're going to be wiped out. And in his heart, that's what he hoped happens. But that word overturned also carries another meaning. And the other meaning is, it carries with it the idea if you repent, God can reverse the thing. If God was just going to destroy him without any possibility, why give 40 days? Why send a prophet? Why not just do it? The word overturned means maybe that that is turned the wrong way, you can turn it on the right way. And so maybe God has it in his heart. He's not finished with Nineveh yet. They're so ignorant, they're in idolatry and heathenism. They don't know about the Lord God in heaven. But maybe, just maybe, God's given them 40 days. 40 days in Noah with the rain. 40 years in wilderness. 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness. And all of the... So Nineveh's got 40 days. And you get down to about verse 5. And the writer just said, Jonah proclaimed this message and... The people repented in sackcloth and God spared the city. Kind of a summary statement. And if you just read it right along, read it along, you kind of think, Well, wow, Jonah just said the words and immediately everybody fell down and, and began to call on the Lord. And that may have, something like that may have happened. But I picture it in my mind, you might see it different, maybe you never thought about it. But I just wonder if it took the whole 40 days for people to think about that message and let it sit in you got 40 days. I have no idea how it happened. I have no idea how a city of hundreds of thousands of people that do not know the Lord, together, collectively, all of them, turned to the Lord. I don't know where it started or who it started with. All I know is they had 40 days, and then 39, and then 30. There's 37 days to go. Maybe it started with the women. A lot of revivals in history have started with the women. And maybe it was just some mothers and grandmothers who said we're tired of sending our sons and our grandsons into battle and seeing them killed for no reason at all. Maybe we ought to listen to what this man said. There's 35 days to go. 34, 33, 32. Maybe it started with the young people. A lot of revivals in history have started with the young people. And maybe some of the young people are saying, you know what, I've always questioned why we live the way we do and worship these idols that that don't talk back to us and they have no life within them. And maybe they begin to question that there's 30 days left, 29, 28, 27 days left. The clock is ticking. Maybe it started among some men and they're talking one with another. And they say, I heard about this prophet. He got swallowed by a fish and yet he came back to life. If that happened, we ought to be careful how we respond to this message about that God. There's 20 days left. 18, 16, 15 days left. And the king looks out on the scene and there's a stirring going on in his nation and he sends his servants to find out what's happening something seems to be going on there's ten days left we're running out of time there's nine eight seven days left but something's happening in every house in every area the city's ready for something different and they call for a fast the king said I think we should go without eating until we we hear from from this God or whatever God is out there that we need to follow and and so even the animals, they wouldn't feed them. And the animals cried out. Their cry was for hunger but it sounded like the animals were crying out too. Three days left. Two days left. One day left. But you look out on the city of Nineveh and I tell you, 40 days later, the whole city the king was, was the one who led it. He took off his robes and he put on sackcloth and the whole city bowed down their knees. And they called on I'm telling you, 40 days later, every knee was bowing. And every tongue was confessing. I'm not talking about in heaven one day. I'm talking about in Nineveh. Yeah. The greatest revival that I know of in human history. The whole city got saved. The whole city turned to God. Wow. Amen. Do you believe something like that could still happen today? Jonah, Jonah not only believed it, he kind of knew it was going to happen. And here's the irony of ironies. The greatest revival in human history had the sorriest evangelist. Pitiful excuse. Had an evangelist that didn't want it to happen. But God did it anyway. God did it anyway. The whole city turned to God in a glorious way. Well, that... Causes me to take you to chapter 4 And I've showed you Jonah Protesting, then Jonah praying Then Jonah proclaiming and preaching And finally we get back to chapter 4 When you get to chapter 4 Jonah goes outside The city of Nineveh and he climbs up on a hill And he's going to sit down To To see the results of his 40 days of preaching If he could have had some popcorn And a Coke I believe he would have got it and sat down to watch the show. He's hoping against hope that fire and brimstone is going to start falling from the sky. That's what he wants. These are the enemy. These are the Ninevites. They're not like us. Somebody said, oh, that's just Jonah. Listen. I've said on... I've sat on the platform in more than one church where somebody walked in the back door that obviously had a different background or a different lifestyle than most of the rest of the folks. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And that pastor leaned over to me and quickly tell me and say something like, he's a visitor. They're a visitor, you know. More worried about their reputation or what I'm going to think because somebody's coming in that looks so different. They don't want to, I mean... Listen, if everybody in our church looks exactly the same, that might be a good indication we're not doing something right. Somebody said, we got so many people coming to our church that don't even know what church is all about. Listen, if you've got people coming to your church that don't know what church is all about, that's what church is all about. Jonah sits back on his lounge lounge chair and he's ready for the fireworks to start. But instead, he hears a shout and people are praying. And they're calling on the name of the Lord. And here comes a messenger from the city. And the messenger says, Jonah, oh, Jonah, I've got to give you a report. The whole city, the king, everybody, they're all turned over to God. Everybody in your congregation was saved. Everybody. Everybody. Boy, some of us would just get happy if we could get one or two a year. Amen. The whole city is saved. And so Jonah starts talking to the Lord. And you know what he said? He said, I knew you'd do that. He said you do it every time. You're just that way. You're gracious and you're long-suffering and you're merciful. And you do it every time. You always say, you always forget. Is there anybody besides me glad that He does it every time? And that's just the way that He is. And He'll still do it. Amen? If we'll get our hearts right and come back to this belief that evangelism and missions makes all the difference in the world. Jonah said, you're gracious. You're, you're long-suffering you're slow to anger. You're full of mercy. It's just the way that you are. Jonah was so fed up. He was so angry with God. He was ready to check out. He said, just take me, Lord. Just just take me. If you're going to save everybody, just, just... Is something wrong with this picture, my friend? Jesus didn't just die for America. He died for the world. Oh, that we could hear the truth of this tonight. Jonah sits watching the show and, uh, oh, it's hot out there. It's hot. So the Lord prepared a vine for him, a gourd, to come and give him some shade. Oh, and he loved the gourd. He was thankful for the gourd. But the next day, the Lord prepared a worm (laughs) to devour the vine and the gourd. And to make sure Jonah knew it, the Lord prepared a a, a, a hot wind, a stiff wind to blow by so he would know I've lost my shade. And Jonah got angry and he got upset. And he said, Lord, you you, you took it, you only let me have it for part of a day. I lost my luxury. I lost my, my material possession. I lost this that you gave me. And the Lord said, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah said, in essence, yes, I do. That's what he said. He said, Jonah, I've got got at least 120,000 in this city that can't tell their right hand from their left. He may have been talking just about the children in that city. He may have been talking about the ignorance of the heathenism in that city. But the Lord said, you get so worked up. When your modern convenience... That most of this world doesn't have anything. But you, when you lose that, you know. And you're not concerned at all about a whole city. That's dying without me. Wow, what a way to end the book. What a way to end it. it. It ends on that note. What does Jonah do? What does he respond? Does he ever come back? We don't know. Nothing's ever said about it. The book just ends with that question from God. Two questions. Wow, and I know this is an unusual message for the camp meeting, especially the first night of the camp meeting. Oh, but you'll be glad Sister Beth is coming. Amen? <laughs> that lady will preach up a storm, and I, y- y- you will have altar services. That will touch the hearts of many, many of you. Everybody here, tomorrow night and Friday night. She's an evangelist. But this is what the Lord laid on my heart. So I'm just asking you tonight. I, I, I can't tell you what Jonah did, but what, what are you going to do with it? In the heartland. What are you going to do with it in the heartland? We've got churches that need to be started. We've got churches that need to be revitalized and revived. We've got places and people groups around this world that need to be evangelized. What are we going to do with it? Does anybody really believe that evangelism and missions makes all the difference in this world? When it comes to missions, I'll just say this about missions, and I'm, I'm just about finished. I'm not quite, but, I mean, we can almost put the tray tables up and the seat back in upright position. and Put your seatbelt back on, because we've begun our descent. Does that make you feel better? And I have been known to get in a holding pattern up there a time or two, but... Shouldn't have said that. Some of you had hope for a moment. Okay, listen. I grew up with this mentality when it comes to missions. Everybody, you either go or you support somebody to go. Anybody, were you raised that way? Is that still kind of the way you feel? You go or you you help somebody to go? Two choices. John Piper a few years ago said, no, there's a third choice. I said, what possible third choice could you have? Piper said, you go. Or you sinned or you disobey. The arrow hit me right there. The disobedience. We don't need any part of that. Here's the difference between Jonah and between us. Jonah didn't want to evangelize Nineveh because he knew. He knew God would save Those heathens said on the ship, if we throw him overboard, maybe this God will have mercy on us. The king in Nineveh said, if we really repent and turn to him, maybe he'll have mercy on us. But Jonah didn't even say maybe. Jonah said, I kn- Lord, I knew you'd do it. He knew it. We don't witness. We don't evangelize. We don't get involved in missions because we don't really think it makes a difference. We don't really think we'll be successful. Jonah knew he would be successful. Successful. So it's just a matter of us getting our hearts right. All right. Now, I don't know what the Lord wants to do here at the end. We've already had a wonderful prayer time. I just want to tell you two, two quick things that I did in an altar service uh, with a message similar to the, this this summer. I'm not going to do either one tonight, I think at least at the beginning, but I just want to tell you about uh, about them and then I'm going to uh, have us pray whatever the Lord wants to do. I'd never given an altar service like this or an altar call, but I was preaching in Alabama in a camp meeting, similar type message. We came to the end. I asked the people when they came to bring their pocketbook to bring their purse, to bring their wallet. Have you, have you seen the cartoon, the, the caption of the fellow that was being baptized and he was submerged and everything's under the water except he's holding his billfold right above the... Oh, you've seen it now, at least in your mind. How many of you know if the wallet doesn't go down, your heart didn't go down? Your heart and your treasure will always be in the same place. So I had them come. And so it was an amazing thing. I'd never seen it. it. looked like the women were going shopping. They were bringing their purses and everything. Right here to the altar. And the men too. But we just laid them on the altar. said every part of it, Lord, to reach a lost and a dying world. We care more about souls than we do about these comforts that might come. And they might go. The other was at a camp meeting in Virginia. Similar type message I preached. And I know for the music team, I love Brother Kelly, the music and everything your team did tonight. I, I preach so many messages. It's a challenge for the music team when they get up, you know, to find a song that'll fit. Anyway, I did a, sim- a song similar to this, and the music team was excellent. They were gifted people. And they got up, and as we were coming around the altar, and they began to sing that chorus. A lot of people singing it today, and it's one of our favorites. Uh, uh, oh, How He Loves Us. you know that one? Oh, how... i I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> oh, how He loves us. How He loves us so. And it's beautiful. It's a great song. It touches our hearts, and it fits it most times. But somehow, somehow... It didn't exactly fit the message I'd preached that night, at least the point that I felt the Holy Spirit wanted to touch. So I just went to them and and they were so agreeable. that We just changed it slightly. And we started singing, oh, how he loves them. How he loves them so. And I said, picture the Ninevites. I'm talking about the Ninevites. And so we, around the altar for a while, we just started singing, oh, how he loves them. And I just started naming every group I could, you know, I started with ISIS. I mentioned the Muslims. I mentioned as many religions as I could. LGBT, I just, it it just kept coming to me. Black Lives Matter. Oh, how he loves them. White supremacists. Oh, how he loves them. The Democratic National Convention. Oh, how he loves them. The Republicans. Oh, how he loves them. (laughs) Hillary. Oh, how he loves her. (laughs) Donald Trump. Oh, how he loves them. Are you hearing me tonight? Somebody needs to come to this realization. He doesn't just love me. He doesn't just love us. He doesn't just love the Pentecostal holiness church. He loves the lost (laughs) in a dying world. And once you rediscover that, Then all of a sudden, we're in a position for evangelism and missions to make all the difference in the world. Amen? Brother Kelly, come and bring your team here. I don't know what you're going to do now, but anything will be fine. You'll know I'm just about finished when you hear music at the end. Amen? Am I the only one? You hear music at the end, and that lets you know we're just about at the end. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, do you believe that He loves them? as much as He loves you you're never too old for that realization to come to your heart we need to raise up our children believing that and teaching that again and our children and our grandchildren but we as adults wherever we are along the age need to come back to that simple realization as well there it is amen you feel better already don't you you hear a preacher preaching thinking he'll never finish, if especially if he seems to be enjoying his own sermon. We're never gonna get out of here. Oh, but I hear the music and there's hope. Why don't you stand on your feet? That'll give you more hope. Amen. Now we're getting excited. Listen to me. Any of you watch the Olympics when they roll around? Summer Games, Winter Games. I think the Olympics are coming back again. February, maybe? Just a few more months. The Winter Games in South Korea. I told some people this year in my travels for world missions the, the, the event that I've come to enjoy the most, it, it wasn't for many years, but I like to watch the opening ceremonies. Have you seen those? When the host nation is finished with their program And here they come The parade of nations Just like at our general conference or something All the teams And they're in their different uniforms And they're carrying their flag How many of you have seen it? You know what I'm talking about? Some of the nations are so small There's only a couple of them But some of them are so large They're just like America and the other countries There's so many of them And here they come what a scene it is. And the reason I love it so much is because it reminds me of a day that John said he saw when they were going to come from every nation and kindred and tribe and tongue. Do you understand there's going to be people from Nineveh in the new heavens and the new earth. Glory, glory, glory. From every people group. Praise His holy name. Glory, glory, glory. You say, well, what does that have to do to me? With me, I don't travel much. And I'm I'm surrounded by missionaries a lot now and people that travel in many, many countries. And there's some of you that have also been privileged to travel in many nations. But some of you haven't been out of this country yet. And a lot of you never will. And some of us just a couple of countries. And so when those nations pass by, I look and say, I've never been there, I've never been there, I've never been there. Maybe this one or that one, one or two. But do you understand when you start giving and you give to evangelism and you give to missions and then all of a sudden your dollars and dimes and checks and your gifts, they've been there. I'm not sure if Jonah will be in heaven, but I am sure that some of the Ninevites will. That's an irony. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody came up to you in heaven and said, because you gave, I'm here. I found Jesus. Does anybody believe this sort of thing is going to happen? I believe it with all of my heart. Praise His holy name. So what shall we do with this sermon? This one ends with a question. It's kind of left hanging. I don't want this service to be left hanging. I want you to agree with me that evangelism and missions makes all the difference in the world. Amen.